0: All right, it looks like we're live. Well, welcome everyone to the third installment of the Catechism of the Catholic Church series, uh, where we will be looking at paragraphs 100 through 150. It doesn't have a very good stopping point this time around, but we decided that in order to stay with our pace, we don't care where it's going to cut. We're yeah. just going to stop at that 50 mark and pick up next time.
1: It at least stops at a heading, I
0: think. So yes, that's good. this so. time it does stop at a heading. Kind of in the middle of something, but that's okay. That's we'll okay. cover the next part next week. So, Father, you want to go and start with the prayer? I'd love to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for giving us the great gift of sacred scripture. Please help us to continue to grow in love of your word, to grow in love of the incarnate word, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask you to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us today as we study the Catechism and strive to know you more, to love you more with all of our hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. And We ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary. Full, Full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, my woman, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, for sinners now and at the, the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. St. Catherine of Siena. Pray for us. St. Jerome. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So do you want to start by explaining why you chose those saints to use in our prayer? So we always uh, say most sacred heart of Jesus, which is good anywhere, but especially here at Sacred Heart Parish, um, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, because Jesus and Mary always go together. Uh, St. Joseph, because we are in the year of St. Joseph, today is April 29th which is the feast day of St. Catherine of Siena, who is a wonderful 14th century uh, Dominican saint. Highly recommend looking up and learning about her. And finally, St. Jerome, who is a wonderful patron saint for the study of sacred scripture. In fact, I'm sure we are going to read his quote at some point in here, that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. I had it
0: underlined and starred, I think, in my catechism. So So of course we're going to, uh, to get there at some point. That will be lovely. And we were talking about St. Catherine of Siena in the office today for her feast day. And I was sharing with some of the office staff about how her body is buried in Rome in St. Maria Minerva Church, close to the Pantheon. But then her head is still in Siena. And actually, if you get a chance, just Google mm-hmm. St. Catherine of Siena's head. It's quite an interesting uh, inter- picture.
1: Because it's it's incorrupt, but sort of like... Yeah, it's like a
0: partial incorrupt.
1: It's it's interesting. So, but uh, yeah, she is a fascinating saint, well worth worth learning about. Only lived to the ripe young age of thirty three, but one of those that you know has that beautiful characteristic of a saint who can bear the gentle strength so well, which you know we'd assume our Lord would have been. Well, I mean, he is. You see it in the in the words of sacred scripture. But like that ability to call the Pope, you know, Christ's sweet vicar on earth, and then challenging him to live up to the title, (laughs) you know, it's just like she's very good at, you know, holding all of that together, and uh, which is a great characteristic of a saint.
0: Yeah, and a doctor of the church, Mm -hmm. and a secret stigmatist, as far as I've heard. Yeah, that sounds. She had the stigmata, but it was hidden to everyone else except for her, because she didn't want the. It's All the attention that it would come from that. So, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things about that saint. Yeah, well worth learning about. Exactly. Fantastic. But we're not learning about St. Catherine of Santa today We're <laughs> not <laughs> anymore. We're learning about sacred scripture. So we're going to dive right into paragraph 101. Um, but as Father kind of alluded to, most of what we're going to be talking about today is sacred scripture. And I think the last couple uh, classes, series, episodes, I still don't know what we're calling these things, installments. Um, have been a lot about sacred tradition, or last week was very much about sacred tradition. So if you haven't seen that one already, please go back and watch that. I think that will tie very nicely into this conversation. But as we were talking about earlier today, before we even, you know, before we're sitting down together now, we were saying how we talked about tradition already, which is so important in the church, and now we're getting to scripture. It's kind of an interesting, the progression that the catechism takes that we're looking at tradition and then scripture, whereas our Protestant brothers and sisters, most of them hold the teaching of sola scriptura. So, and now we're just getting to it. So it's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is in relation to tradition. And it's going to be very evident in some ways why scripture is so important to us, um, but why it's not everything to us.
1: And you got to remember, too, I think the, the difficulty is a lot of times is using that phrase sola in front of anything. Um, so I was saying to Michael earlier today, I mean, as you'll see in some of these beautiful paragraphs, I mean, we love and reverence Scripture, and Scripture is one of the you know, absolute foundations and most important things. We've already talked about tradition. We've talked about the magisterium. Today we talk about Scripture. We need all three. And in some ways, it's like you know, Scripture is absolutely important. But a way, it's not a good way to emphasize the importance by pretending that there's nothing else. It's like, man, I really love my heart, but I don't need my brain or my feet, you know? It's like, no, no, like, it all goes together in the body. And scripture is part of that body, a crucial part of that body, but a part of it. It's not scripture alone because, as you know, it's like if if you take, you know, the Holy Bible... And you just give it to a couple different people and it just stands on its own. Well, first of all, where did it come from? But second of all, who's going to do the interpreting? Because you can read a couple of different parts. And if you take it on its own, stand alone, which it was never meant to be, um, you're going to get a lot of different interpretations, as we've seen throughout you know, ecclesial history over the last especially 500 years.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we'll touch on that quite a bit, about a little bit about the canon and where the Bible came from. But the first thing to understand about scripture is that this is truly the human language word of God. So the beautiful thing about scripture is that this is not some divine language that nobody can understand. It doesn't need any sort of translation. This is human language that it was written in. And it was always intended to be read in natural human language. So much so, right, as we talked about two weeks ago, Jesus becoming man and speaking to us in human language And so, what we're seeing in Scripture is this divine word that is being written down for generations and generations after, including, but not limited to, the actual words of Christ. So, we have to understand that the Bible is to be read, to be understood by everyone, and was given to us in a way that we can understand it by God. Yeah, it says,
1: you know, if you look at paragraph 105, just the, the title there, that God is the author of sacred scripture and you know, the divinely revealed realities which are contained and presented in the text of sacred scripture and they're written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so God inspiring the sacred authors to write the text, uh, as Michael said, it's, you know, it's, it's in our human language. I've li- I like this little phrase, it's like sacred scripture is like God's love letters to humanity. I think that's a nice way mm-hmm. of putting it. Um, you know, in
0: essentially, yes, giving it to us uh, in this revealed language. Yeah, to the revealed language, but also with an understanding that it's not completely clear all the time that there is Holy Mother Church. We have to rely on the Holy Church to accept it, to interpret it, to put together the canons of the Bible, to guide us in the understanding of it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So just because we have scripture doesn't mean God just dropped it out of the sky and said, here it is, ta-da, ta-da we have a participation in this through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because there were actually several books that almost made it into scripture. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't clear for all of human history that these would be the books. Um, I know one that it comes up a lot is um, The Shepherd of Hermas. You can find that, just Google it, you can find the text. But that was a very close runner up to making it into scripture. But they decided through inspiration of the Holy Spirit And through, you know, the divine will of God that this was not supposed to be in Scripture. But at one point, it was held to be a divinely inspired text until the church decided, no, these are the books to be in the Bible and these are not.
1: And then there are other ones like later on, I mean, they, they needed to fit particular criteria. And I'm sure you've heard, it seems like usually when we're around Holy Week, like different things like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas get brought up. But the thing to remember with that is, I mean, there's all sorts of, well, A, the content of what's actually been written down. And sometimes, you know, we're looking back at documents, especially if you're looking at the New Testament documents, that were written very close to the time when Christ lived, you know, during his public ministry. Uh, I mean, we're talking like mostly within the first century. Um, in fact, I just listened to a really fascinating podcast Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which is one of both of our favorite podcasts. Thank you for turning me on to that one. No problem. I hadn't heard of that one before Michael told me about it. But there was an episode on the destruction of the temple, you know, which Jesus predicted. But it's interesting because even that helps to date uh, the New Testament writings because the destruction of the Jerusalem temple happened in the year 70. And so there are these predictions, but not writing as though it's already happened. And so it's like a lot of the New Testament documents... You know, could a lot of them be dated before the year 70? And when you consider the fact that Jesus died around the year 30, we're talking about like a 40-year time span, and some of them written even sooner and closer to Jesus' public ministry. That's really close, because when you think about it, I mean, there are still like new biographies coming out about, say, George Washington, right? And he died, what, well over like 200 and 250 years ago, 230 years ago? And still, if someone came out with a biography of George Washington now, it's 230 years old, be like, yeah, that, that's fair. But when you look at sacred scripture, I mean, especially the New Testament, we're talking very close to the time that Jesus, that Jesus uh, lived in his public ministry. I hate to say when Jesus lived. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. But during the time of his public ministry, very close to the time of his passion, death,
0: and resurrection. And not only is the time frame important, Um, to look at with scripture. But uh, paragraph 106 and 107 kind of looks at two other very important things when we're looking at this canon of scripture. And first, in 106, it says, God inspired human authors of the sacred books. So God is guiding what is being written. Now, he is not writing it. He is not dictating it. The human beings did write it in their own understanding, in their own way. Um, And this is how we know Something like the Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles are actually one long narrative. You can finish the Gospel of Luke, go straight into Acts, and then the story actually continues very clearly. And this is how we know a lot of the letters of St. Paul are from St. Paul because they all have a very similar writing style. So human beings are writing this, but there is that Holy Spirit that is guiding the Scripture to be written in a certain way. So there's, there's a very specific guidance by God. Um, and also... The inspired books teach the truth. And this is very interesting with a lot of the Gospels, other Gospels. So, first of all, Gospel is just an account of the life of Jesus, okay? So, we have four in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But anytime you hear Gospel, just think, oh, this is a story about when Jesus was alive. One of my favorite Gospel accounts to read just kind of for fun is the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, because there's the Gospel of Thomas, but then the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. The infancy gospel of Thomas is very interesting because you you see some of those hidden years of Jesus' life when he was young, and I'm assuming in Egypt, and summarizing, he has some friends and his friends make him mad, so he just kills them. And Joseph basically comes up and ridicules Jesus, and Jesus is like, fine dad, and he brings them back to life. So As I, you can see, that's why it didn't make the canon of I don't know scripture. about you, but that doesn't feel like the Jesus that I know and love. And so there's an element of a lack of truth about the personhood of Jesus Christ. Now, that one's a pretty obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of other things within the truth about the teachings of the church, how Jesus and the church relate, what Jesus taught. These are all things that the church would have been looking at you know, several hundred years ago as they were looking at the canon of Scripture to determine What is actually going to make it in the Bible? Um, And it says the books books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth.
1: So pretty strict requirement here. And the other thing I like, and this kind of gets back on the, you know, removing that phrase sola. Very much scriptura, not just sola though. Paragraph 108 says, still, the Christian faith is not a religion of the book. Christianity is the religion of the word of God, a word which is not a written and mute word, But the word which is incarnate and living. If the scriptures are not to remain a dead letter, Christ, the eternal word of the living God, must through the Holy Spirit open our minds to understand the scriptures. And that last line is a citation from the Gospel of Luke. At the end, it's uh, one of the resurrection accounts on the road to Emmaus, that he opens up their minds to understand the scriptures. And remember, at that point in the Gospel of Luke, when he says to understand the scriptures, it's referring to the Old Testament. And Jesus, walking with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, opens up their minds to understand what the law and the prophets had said about Jesus. And that's one of the things we're going to kind of get to more and more here is about the unity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, We don't just chuck out the Old Testament. Uh, It's so important that we have the long history of God's revelation to man. Um, and just how beautiful that is.
0: Yeah, and we'll definitely get to that in a second. Um, But kind of continuing on to paragraph 109 and forward, we start to see how are we supposed to interpret Scripture? First of all, very key, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Right. This is the whole reason the Scripture was created, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is how we understand the Holy Spirit. So even in paragraph 111, it talks about, It says, sacred scripture must be read and interpreted in the light of the same spirit by whom it was written. So if we throw out the Holy Spirit and we just are trying to read it as individuals or trying to interpret it as individuals, we're gonna have a big problem. Um, And also it talks about, going back a little bit to one ten that we need to try to understand scripture or interpret scripture in the context of which the authors were writing it. I think this is so important that We need to remember that words may have meant something a little bit different back then than they do now. The culture was different. Just the world was a different place. And so we can't take something out of Scripture and kind of retroactively apply it to today. Or take it out of its context. Take it out of its context um, and still understand it. We have to understand what was going on at that time. And actually, a totally different podcast that I've been trying to get you on and you haven't listened to it yet. Um, there's a podcast that I really enjoy called No Dumb Questions. Um, one of the commentators is Destin Sandlin. He has a YouTube channel called Smarter Every Day. Very, very popular YouTube channel. But they actually just did uh, two series, on the one on the Dead Sea Scrolls Ooh. and another one on other things that they found in the Dead Sea region. And it's super interesting and fascinating to hear because um, they're both Protestants. So they're taking a much more historical analysis of the Bible than maybe you or I would because we have so many other things to look at in tradition. Sure. And they're diving very, very deeply into scripture itself. But thinking about how scripture would have been perceived in the Jewish tradition and how the early Christians would have carried the scripture and why the Dead Sea Scrolls were even where they were and why were they preserved and why were they left behind and all these different things that that's still removed quite a bit from the gospel that we're talking about. But Trying to understand and put yourself into that time period helps you to see why the script why scripture was written in the way that it was and how it was used, and it paints a very important context and interpretation to it.
1: And I will say, I mean, yeah, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I forget when exactly that happened. I think it was in the middle of the twentieth century. I want to say is when, um, like, kind of like that that new finding um, it was like the the largest, I think, extant copy. Of the book of isaiah was was one of the things and like there's a I mean, just all sorts of incredible stuff and and actually an author i'll be talking about here pretty soon dr john bergsma wrote a book and i think it was called jesus and the dead sea scrolls wonderful and just like finding out more and more about the possibility that like, did john the baptist like was he a part of the essene community that lived there for a while uh what was the influence there and it, it was incredible too with dr bergsma's findings with that has a lot to do with, say, John's eating locusts and wild honey, his wearing of camel skin. Some of those things may have been based on a vow and him not living with the community anymore. It's fascinating stuff. But as Michael was saying, it's like learning more and more about the context out of which that scripture came, we learn more and more about the word. However, as it said in that paragraph 108, we're not just people of the book. This isn't just a dead word from 2,000 years ago. Scripture is still living and effective, and so the whole way we got into this about the Holy Spirit is inspired and written you know, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit nearly 2,000 years ago for the New Testament and further back in the Old. But even as you look at the historical context, it does continue to speak to us even in this day. And so we're going to kind of get into some of the senses of Scripture, too, and how there are different genres within the you know, great library that I'm holding in my hand here right here called the Bible, Um, You know, different, like the Psalms, you know, mostly like temple songs written by uh, David. You know, that's going to be different from a historical book like Chronicles or, you know, different than one of the letters of St. Paul. To look at what you're reading, even though it's within the same two covers here, there are many different books contained within sacred scripture.
0: Before we get to the census, uh, going back a little bit to the interpretation. So in 112 to 114, it talks about uh, three criteria for interpreting Scripture um, in accordance with the Spirit who inspired it. So this is from the Second Vatican Council. Um, so 112 mentions that we need to be especially attentive to the content and unity of the whole Scripture. So we can't take just a little verse or a little even a book out of the context of the whole Scripture. We have to always be looking this, look at this with the criteria of the entire Bible, all of Scripture in mind. And I
1: will tell you, yeah, there's, there's a problem It's called proof texting when you just like, you know, it's like you cherry pick and take this out. It's like, well, this proves it. Look, right here in sacred scripture, it says this. And I remember one of the best, like, examples of that that I ever heard was there's one of the Psalms, and I'm sorry, I don't remember which one. But it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God above. And I remember another priest saying, okay, like, what if I just take out this phrase? There is no God above. Like, Well, Scripture says there's no God above. So I guess that's what it means. It's like, no, no, no. you got to read it within the context. And so I will say part of the fun we have here at Sacred Heart is we take a phrase from the gospel for this coming Sunday and put it on our sign down by the road. And with that, it's just kind of fun to have something a little bit out of context. Like two weeks ago it was, do you have anything here to eat? which is just fun to put up on the sign. But it's not like we wouldn't put up from that psalm, there is no God above. Like, that would be insane. But you see, it's like everything fits within the whole picture of sacred scripture. You can't just take it out as though it stands alone. Um, It's one big unified piece.
0: And for the sign down by the street, a lot of times we want people to go and read the context. So we try to find a little bit of, you know, some more provocative words, if you it's will. Good, right? yeah, so people can look at it and go, wait, what is this actually referring to? And we always put the verse we do. with the sign. So we aren't just putting words up there and saying the Bible. Yeah. We're putting the book, chapter, and verse up there so people can reference back to it and read the context. And it's almost always from the gospel of yeah. the upcoming Sunday. So if you come to Mass, you're going to see the context anyways. Um, and sometimes it's from the first or second reading. But again, sometimes. always from that upcoming Sunday. So the context is always going to be presented to you in the context of the readings. of Mass. My favorite still is, are you
1: envious because I'm generous? That was the best. And I actually got some some comments about that because that was the very first
0: one we ever put up. That was the first one. And we've, wow. we've been doing it for three years because we yeah. put it up the second time around too.
1: That's awesome. And I think it's been a success. Anyway, and Father
0: Rossi, if you're listening, I know you were the one with this idea. And I think you're the one that proposed yeah. that verse. So thank you. We've been doing the tradition ever since. And it's been great. And someday we'll have some, a competition with St. Michael's to see who can come up with the better Bible verses.
1: I think we're going to win every time. Probably, because we've been doing it longer. We have more experience. <laughs> and our science
0: better. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so another criteria in which we need to read scripture, um, this is 113. Read the scripture within the living tradition of the whole church. So we can't even take scripture out of context in comparison to tradition. the church so we have to understand that we they are working together so they're not going to compete so if you take a piece of scripture or a verse out of scripture and it conflicts with tradition well guess what you can't have those two things conflicting they're both going to be true so then you have to put it into the whole context of scripture and the whole context of tradition and if in the one thing i love about the catholic church and we talk about this all the time Mm -hmm. if you dig enough and you do your logical progression enough you're always going to come to the reason and the truth. And we sit here and debate about these things all the time. Well, how does this thing work? Well, if you take this, and if you take that, and if you take this from Scripture and this from the Catechism and bundle all these things together, of course it makes sense.
1: Absolutely. And Okay, talking about Catherine of Siena, right? The colors of the Dominicans, black and white. And they love that black and white. And it's good. Um, But at the same time, it's like in the... To apply all of this to the living experience of people. We're always going to get to what it means. But it's like, okay we got to go through everything that they're going through right now. And sometimes we've come across this, it's like, oh, haven't quite encountered this case yet. But it always has, you know, like the way that we're going to deal with a particular issue, you know, be it something we have to address canon law, we've got to look at the liturgical norms. It all comes back to, you know, the reason that we're doing things. Like we don't do stuff that contradicts. And if there's something that we are doing that's contradicting, it's because I made a mistake or something like that. I mean, it's like basically scripture and tradition,
0: they don't contradict one another. He made a mistake and I came in and corrected it. It's, it's great. It happens all the time. Um, but also the beautiful thing is even like last week when fall, or last month when Father and I had a, you know, a side discussion about Adam and Eve, afterwards, we're like, oh, we were saying the same things the whole time. Yeah. And we came to the same conclusion in the end. We just had a different way of phrasing it. We had it. different ways of phrasing it, but even if, Father and I did disagree on something. We're going to figure out what's true. And most of the time, we're both wrong. And it's the third option. We're like, oh, well, we both have to change our understanding of the church because it's very clearly stated right here that we need to do that. Fun stuff. It is indeed. All right, let's read that third principle. Third principle. Be attentive to the analogy of faith. What does the analogy of faith mean? I will tell you. We mean the coherence of the truths of faith among themselves and within the whole plan of Revelation. So kind of, uh, in some ways, what we just talked about, that it has to be in the entire context um, of Revelation, in the entire context of essentially the movements of the church and the teachings of Christ. They all have to fit together. That beauty of
1: coherence, it all fits together.
0: And why don't you go ahead and dive into the uh, census.
1: Okay, so when it gets into the senses of sacred scripture, you have two main senses but then the second one is broken up into three parts. Now, the first one would be the literal sense, that the words in front of you mean what they mean. I remember I had a, uh, a supervisor in my hospital assignment as a seminarian, and he was a Baptist minister, and he always used to say, the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says, and that's the way that it is. It's so, like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true, and you're right. And what the catechism says about the literal sense, this is paragraph 116, is that the literal sense is the meaning conveyed by the words of Scripture and discovered by exegesis, which means, you know, like, a reading from the text. Like, you're taking from it and, and understanding what it says. Uh, following the rules of sound interpretation, all other senses of sacred Scripture are based on the literal. And that last quote is from St. Thomas Aquinas. So, you know, as you're reading something, like, it, it means what it says that it means. And it's kind of right there. And as it says about you know, the sound uh, rules of interpretation. Because when you think about it, I mean, okay, uh, so I, for, I know I've heard jokes about this too, but like, you know, well, if God didn't want the Bible to be in English, he wouldn't have written it in the king's English. Like, well, that's not the way that it happened. You know, I mean, the different uh, books of sacred scripture were written in various languages. Most of the New uh, Testament in Greek, uh, much of the Old Testament, I mean, in Aramaic, Hebrew, uh, translated at a particular time into Greek. Uh, later on, you have St. Jerome, uh, translating the whole of it into Latin. Uh, you know, and so like some of these more universal type languages, but then eventually translated into tons of different languages so that the good news could be proclaimed to different people all over the place. But there was an original, you know, first letter of St. Paul to the Philippians you know, written in Greek by St. Paul. And so you know, eventually, as that gets handed down, it gets copied. You know, because originally, it's not like this is saved on Saint Paul's MacBook. I mean, eventually, you've got to, you know, copy the original. It's read, you know, during the gathering of the Christians, read during Mass. Um, eventually, as this gets handed down, and then you want to start to share this with other people, well, we need to translate it from the Greek into, you know, another language. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, lost in translation. Well, the good thing is, it's like the Holy Spirit also guides, you know, like the process of getting it to us. Um, and so it's like we can be pretty darn, you know, we can be confident that the words that we're getting, especially by approved translations from the church, that this is what was intended to be handed down to us. This is the literal sense according to the sound rules of interpretation. So it's, it is kind of a fascinating thing when you think about it, that documents, that are at the youngest, you know, roughly 2,000 years old, are making their way to us in in a pretty good, you know, strong sense. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, that's one of the unique things about the New Testament is, uh, by scholarship standards, we have, like, wonderful copies and evidence of, like, the original copies of these things. I think there's so much more, and I'm just speaking off the top of my head here. I don't have the exact stuff, but we have so much more stuff about the life and times of Jesus and the writings of his apostles, you know, the specifically you know, the evangelists of you know, St. Paul, than we do about Socrates. I think when it comes to Socrates, there's like a copy, maybe two. But like when you look at all of the different things that we have historically speaking of Scripture, it's incredible the way that God protects it and makes sure that it gets to us and so that we can actually read the literal sense.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't remember what it's called, but not too long ago, I'd say in the last couple hundred years, They took every single piece and scrap of Scripture that they've ever found and basically took one Bible and tried to overlap them all together to see how the translation and interpretation of Scripture changed over time. And it's incredibly minute. I mean, the amount of pieces and things we have over 2,000 years and the amount of changes that they can record and they recognize, it's very, very small. And then they even went through the whole debate of what is probably the best in most uh, correct interpretation or correct piece. And sometimes they would say, actually this one scrap of parchment or text that we have, actually this one just doesn't even make sense because it doesn't fit. But what they conclude is basically that our modern day Bible is still incredibly accurate, if not almost perfect. Um, So people out there have done the research for us and we can trust that what we have is almost exact to what, how it was written 2,000 plus yeah. years ago. That inspired Word of God does make its way
1: to us, which is incredible. And we don't stop at the literal sense. We can read deeper and deeper into it. And that's why it's like, you know, Scripture is living and effective. It's going to affect us differently, frankly, every time you approach it. It's one of the things I'm so grateful for, especially, I'm you know, I'm just about to hit my 11th anniversary as a priest. So I'm coming up on... So one more year, and this will be the fourth time I've been through the Sunday cycle, right? It's incredible how every time I approach the readings for the upcoming Sunday, they hit you in a different way. I mean, the the Word of God is living and affected. And so you look at the spiritual sense of Scripture, paragraph 117, it says, thanks to the unity of God's plan, not only the text of Scripture, but also the realities and events about which it speaks can be signs. And here are the three different spiritual senses of scripture first the allegorical sense highly recommend look up paragraph 117 so i'm going to give you a couple well two big words and one that you already know allegorical sense we can acquire a more profound understanding of events by recognizing their significance in christ thus the crossing of the red sea is a sign or type of christ's victory and also of christian baptism which you can see every time i baptize someone and i did last night and when i bless the water I said, you know, uh, just as the you know the the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, you know, it's like it's being referred to as we're blessing the water for baptism, and you know, so you have this allegorical sense, uh, this like allegory that, that's there in the Old Testament that's pointing towards Christ. Second, the moral sense: the events reported in Scripture ought to lead us to act justly. Saint Paul says they were written for our instruction, so we can see that. I mean, the way. We want to live our lives. We can see the way that that's spelled out to us in sacred scripture. For example, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. You've all heard it if you've ever been to a wedding. His section where he expounds on love, right? If you look at the definition of love, that's how we're to live our lives. I mean, God is love. Jesus is love incarnate. We are to imitate him. He gives us himself that we might do that. Here is this. This is how we live our lives And God gives us this moral sense to tell us how to do that. Finally, here's the other big word, the anagogical sense. And that word anagogical, it comes from the Greek anagage, which means leading. We can view realities and events in terms of their eternal significance, leading us toward our true homeland. Thus, the church on earth is a sign of the heavenly Jerusalem. So remember, it's like it's leading us towards our ultimate goal. And I could ask any student in Sacred Heart Catholic School, which is surrounding me right now, and I'd say, what is the goal? What do you want to be? And they would all tell me... To be a saint. Thank you. And that's what we're called to. It's our salvation. And that's what Scripture is there, that anagogical sense. It's
0: leading us on towards our heavenly homeland. And then, I love the next paragraph, because we get a... Medieval couplet that summarizes the significance of the four senses. Gotta love a good couplet. <laughs> I know, and it's great that there's poetry here in the catechism. But it says, The letter speaks of deeds, allegory to faith, the moral how to act, anagogy our destiny. Isn't that awesome? And that's exactly how we're supposed to understand Scripture in those senses. And then in 119, it talks about the task of exegetes, as you were talking People about who before. People study Scripture. People study Scripture, you know to help us in some ways to interpret the scripture because there are people way smarter than either father or I and probably everyone viewing unless you're one of those people then I apologize um, that interpret scripture and help us to see what it's actually what is actually saying Um, I remember in high school and I'm sure you had to do this in seminary where we had to pick a, a bible verse they gave us a couple in high school that we had to pick from and we had to do an Exegesis on it. We had to examine it. We had to look at the Latin. We had to look at the Greek. We had to try to understand and explain how this small section of scripture is to be interpreted and understood. And it was hard. And I was given a softball of a verse to make it really easy. I can't imagine those who have to do that for a living. And uh, thank you for whomever does that. Well, and, and
1: the ones, I mean, like doing it for a living. Because, I mean, it's kind of what we have to do in getting ready for a homily. And quite frankly, that's what's a little more difficult
0: now that we have the. But visual. you
1: have all these books over here know. that you can refer to. And I'm so glad that you said that because that's the thing. So with that medieval couplet, right? Looking at all those senses of scripture, one of the dangers sometimes, especially in modern bi- biblical scholarship, is you know what Michael was talking about before about that context, right? And the literal meaning, and only looking at just the historical context. Well, what did it mean at the time? And that's good, and we need to understand that. But you also have to take into to account those spiritual senses. To understand what it means living and breathing within the living body of Christ, the church. How scripture is being approached at this very moment. The fact that I had a baptism last night and this girl passed through the Red Sea, you know, like Jesus. It's not just something from 2,000 years ago, but it's current. And to understand sacred scripture from the heart of the church. And a lot of what I have right here kind of points to that. And one of my, just say this Catholic commentary on sacred scripture I have here probably, I would say this is my favorite one of the series so far that I have. The one on the Gospel of Mark by Mary Healy, who is a professor at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. It's fantastic. And the beautiful thing is about this particular commentary series, and there are so many commentary series, and some of them are a lot better than others. Some of them treat the Bible as though it's just any other work, like the Odyssey or the Iliad. It's like, oh, it's nice to study the history, and that's it. But no, the beautiful thing about this is is it tells you Like, where a particular uh, reading will come up at Masses. Like, I just opened up uh, to her section on Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. And it tells me right here, in the lectionary, which means what we read at Mass, it comes up in the Common of Pastors. So, if we had a Mass for St. John Vianney and used the Common of Pastors, this could be one of the readings. Like, it places it within the liturgical life of the Church because... That's one of the, the main places we are to encounter Scripture is where it's proclaimed at Mass. And so it's like it gives us the historical context, but also what it's meant in the living tradition of the church. You know, what the moral sense has been, what it's leading us to. And that's the other thing, that anagogical sense. Ooh, That can be tough stuff. That means it hits you right here. It has to do with your eternal salvation. You can't just study this as some sort of a third-party scientist under a microscope as though it has nothing to do with the rest of your life. That's not the way that scripture works. It's living and effective. It cuts through to the heart like a two-edged sword. I mean, it's, it's powerful stuff. And that other line about you know reading script, sacred scripture from the heart of the church, if I'm not mistaken, that is the tagline of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, which is Dr. Scott Hahn and Dr. John Bergsma and some of his wonderful, I'll call them compatriots, I don't know the right word, but it's based out of St. Francis. Sorry, Franciscan University in Steubenville. They do a retreat for priests, which is fantastic. They put out a lot of good works. He uh, has a Road Publishing. It's good stuff, and it's just it's nice that we have this whole big living tradition of help to understand more and more about Sacred Scripture, and you know just how much more it affects us on a day to day you know way of, of approaching it and. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels now, so I'll kick it back over to Michael. <laughs> no, and I
0: think that's important to recognize that the church does not leave us with Scripture alone, yeah. that there are people out there that, as I said, all these texts here that Father brought to show off, um, these are all people and theologians and the exegetes um, that have prepared to help us understand Scripture. So it's one thing to open Scripture yourself and try to understand how is it applying to me today, now. How is God speaking to me through this living word in that spiritual sense? But it's also important to say, well, how does this play in the whole context of Scripture? And it's hard for us to figure that out. We don't know. We don't necessarily have the time. But other people have done that for us. So reading Scripture with the help of other sources and other um, authors and resources is very important to, to do as well. It's
1: absolutely crucial. And I just I just brought in, these are books that I'm very likely to go to every time I'm getting ready for a homily. And I'll tell you what, I won't go on a huge tangent right now, but I kind of already have. But I'll reference a couple of them at the end just for a couple of books that I think you may even want to look into possibly purchasing to help you to understand Scripture better.
0: Perfect. So we're going to dive right into the canon of Scripture. Um, so at one twenty. Uh, paragraph 120 it says, it was by the apostolic tradition that the church discerned which writings are to be included in the list of sacred books. And then it lists the complete um, the 46 books of the Old Testament, if you separate out Jeremiah and Lamentations, and then the 27 of the New. And if you don't know what they are, they're listed right here in paragraph 120. Um, now, the there is a small difference between the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible. They um, removed essentially seven books, if I'm correct? I think so. And, in, and I think it
1: depends on the particular denomination.
0: Too. In, in the Old Testament. And that's the, really the only difference. I think there's one small discussion about the interpretation in um, the letter um, of James, I think. Um, and as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, the main reason why the Protestants removed those seven books of the Old Testament mm-hmm. is that We are using, the Catholic Bible is using a lot of the Greek translation of Scripture and in a lot of the Greek translations of Scripture, it included those seven books. Where the Protestants are using the Hebrew translation of Scripture and a lot of the Hebrew translations removed those seven books. So, and that's the only really good explanation that I've received. Unless, Father, you know something else that I don't.
1: No, that's about the best I've really heard. And, and I guess therein lies the difficulty. It's like, well, then who decided which you get to do on that? And that's where living within the magisterium and the rich tradition of the church is so helpful. And it even like gives the reference from where the canon comes from. Uh, Dave Erbum, uh paragraph 8, section 3, you know, talking about this. Um, you know, and... Therein lies the issue. It's like, well, all of a sudden, if it's like you say sola scriptura, but then if all of a sudden you say, but but I don't count that one. It's like, well, by what authority? I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing that we've got going for us is we've got the authority. You know, it's like it, it all is together and of a piece, and that's not to be offensive to anybody. It's just, I mean, you can start kind of like sawing off the limb upon which you're sitting, and that becomes a big problem.
0: Exactly, and. I'm very glad that we don't have to decide what's in canon of Scripture. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church as a whole, through 2,000 years of tradition said, this is the canon. Mm -hmm. Great, perfect, thank you so much Mother Church. We've got it. And we don't have to worry about it. Um, So then it goes into talk about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. So Old Testament is, as I very simply explain it to those I teach here in the school and in uh, RCIA and faith formation, Old Testament is everything before Jesus. It's as simple as that. Most of it is the uh, Jewish tradition. So what the Jews would have held as scripture, Um, the uh, major prophets, minor prophets, um, the Pentateuch, all these are the Jewish uh, scripture that is carried over. And the reason why we keep that in scripture is all about that spiritual sense, right? That it is the whole Old Testament is starting to reveal and talk about the coming of Christ. It's always pointing to Jesus and to the New Testament. And so we wouldn't be able to understand the beauty of the New Testament without looking at the Old Testament and so much that it was revealing and pointing to. And even Jesus himself uses analogies and examples in Old Testament all the time to say this is coming to fulfillment now.
1: And he doesn't make sense apart from the Old Testament. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's God has been revealing Himself, you know, throughout all of this. Jesus is the Word of God, you know, the Word incarnate, and you know the the Old Testament is telling us that He's coming throughout all of this. I remember uh, a priest buddy of mine was saying that he saw this shirt at Christmas time It was trying to be cute and I think even pro life, but it said something like, and it was like a picture of the manger scene, and it said something like, sometimes unplanned pregnancies are wonderful or something like that, and he's like. But this was the most planned of pregnancy in the history of the world. You know, it's like it's all there. It's it, you know, it, you know, you look back, you know, within um, Isaiah, with you know, like the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and that's just like pulling out one little thing. But it's like Christ is foretold. They know the Messiah is coming, and without all of that, it's like you know, he just kind of appears on the scene. That's not the way that it's worked. Um, you know, he he entered into a specific context that is very much within the Old Testament. And even to say that, oh, we don't need the Old Testament, that was a heresy that was condemned by the church called Marcionism. And that's in paragraph 123. It says, Christians venerate the Old Testament as true word of God. The church has always vigorously opposed the idea of rejecting the Old Testament under the pretext that the new has rendered it void. They said it's called Marcionism. Um, It's super important. And I think the more... It's like we understand, let's say, Genesis and the fall of our first parents, the more we understand ourselves, and uh, it helps so much.
0: So don't be a Marcionist. Yeah, please. I think that's how you would say it, Marcionist. I yeah, so, uh, it works. Read your Old Testament. It's very important. And some other you know, small things you picked out, Isaiah, but talking about like the Paschal name in the Old Testament and the the manna come down from heaven, and all these things are pointing towards the fulfillment in the Eucharist and Jesus and it's beautiful, and the New Testament doesn't make sense without yeah. the Old Testament at all. And segue into the New Testament. So, again, very simple explanation. New Testament is the life of Christ in forward. in forward. So, as we talked about, the Gospels are kind of the heart of the Scripture because it is the true, it is the very concrete spoken Word of God. Maybe that's the best way to say it because it's all the Word of God, but the Gospels account the, it's the life, of Christ. life of Christ and what He spoke while He was here on earth.
1: And I think I've heard them described as, and the more I say them, the more it does make sense, their accounts of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus with a very long introduction. I mean, and it's, it's a good way of putting because if you look at the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters, like, lead up through his public ministry, but chapter 13 starts the Last Supper. It's like 13 to 17 is the Last Supper discourse. Then 18 and 19, you get into the Passion, and then 20 is the Resurrection, so when you think about it, it's like almost half of the Gospel of John is the Last Supper on. I mean, it's, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah. And so it, uh, the Catechism in 126 goes on to distinguish the three stages of the formation of the Gospels, talking about how, well, the Gospels were first formed by Jesus actually living it and teaching it. So it actually happened in the context of time, of Jesus being here and living out those 33 years on life, of life. And then the oral tradition, when the apostles And the disciples took that and passed it on to one another through the oral tradition of speaking it. And then shortly after that, it was actually written down into the Gospels how we know it today. So, But this whole time is still the Gospel account because, as Father says, it's the life of Jesus Christ. So the Gospel was being proclaimed when it was being lived. It was passed on orally before it was still written. So the Gospels existed from the moment that Jesus became man on earth through his incarnation. Um, and so then it talks about, as we have already done a little bit, the unity of that Old Testament and the New Testament. How the, in I love this uh, sentence in 128, and explains what typology is. I love talking about typology and using all these great examples of the Old Testament of typology. But typology is basically, um, well, I'll just read it. Please. Which discerns in God's works of the old covenant prefigurements of what he accomplished in the fullness of time in the person of his incarnate son. So they're prefigurements within the old covenant or the old Testament, those promises that God made with his chosen people that ultimately are fulfilled in that life of Christ. And we mentioned a couple with the man and the Paschal lamb. Um, the story of Abraham and Isaac is very important with the, the crucifixion. We see um, baptism as in the red sea. We were talking about um, and all of these things are showing that Jesus is coming to fulfill this. And the Jews at the time would have known this. Mm-hmm. The The Jews have s- had such a deep understanding of their sacred scripture. The only way I can compare it to, and I heard this in a talk and I don't remember who, who said it, but it's like our understanding of, you know, Disney movies, right? We know our Disney movies and we know our, Cinema so well that you know if I start talking about you know a classic of Lion King, so many of us know that story by heart and can talk about the sequence of it. Well, if you didn't have modern media and modern technology, and what you had was scripture, and that was might be the sole text that you have in your house. Those are the stories you share. Those are the stories you pass down. So they would know it so well by heart, even that when Jesus would mention something or talk about a a verse or a story within scripture, he might only mention the first or second verse, but it's bringing to mind the whole story of scripture. I think it um, also when he quotes the Psalms, yeah. you never quote the Psalms necessarily fully, but you would say the first or second verse of the Psalm. And you get the whole thing. And it was always understood that you were quoting the whole Psalm, not just that small part. So it's so in depth that this unity existed, so much so that even at the time, Jesus was saying, hey, I'm revealing or bringing to fulfillment this thing and very concretely at the time.
1: And I got to tell you, as you say that, I mean, it's a good analogy. I've also heard it put, not Disney movies, but Star Wars. It's like, you know, like all the... Well, Star Wars is Disney now. That's true. Technically speaking, it's all the same thing. Yeah, it's all the same. (laughs) That's a good point. But it's, you know, it's funny. It's like the more I study sacred scripture and I'm embarrassed to say, like, it's come like very late. It's like St. Augustine, late have I loved you, O Lord. You know, I wish I'd been doing this from the beginning but it's so much better. Like, the Lion King's not that great. I mean, it's it's okay, maybe, kind of. But it's like if you've been eating, I don't know, like not even a good kind of candy bar, like like the orange and black, you know, peanut butter taffy things you get at uh, Halloween sometimes. And like, that's been your diet. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, here's filet mignon. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know food could be this good. Like Sacred scripture is so incredible. And when you look at just... You know, Christendom in the history, like, what has beautiful art been of or for? You know, it's like to adorn beautiful churches and like depicting sacred scripture. Look at the works of Michelangelo, like the Sistine Chapel. It's incredible, like to look at that, or you know, the music of you know uh, Mozart to you know prepare for you know a beautiful mass. I mean, to think about you know all of these things rooted in and all and around scripture and the liturgy and. Like lifting it up, and it, like, and once again, the anagogical sense this has to do with our own salvation the salvation of the body of Christ. With the Lion King, they want you to get a movie ticket and then buy, you know, some more stuff and go stay in the hotel at Disney World. Great, but they're not as concerned about your eternal salvation, and Christ loves you. So it's like as you're reading this and understanding it, 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 has absolutely to do with you personally, has to do with you as part of the family of faith, um, it's incredible. And I think the fact that we've fallen away from it, it's like the more I realize that, it's like, ah, uh, we've really traded in, like, you know, the greatest treasure we have for, you know, pottage. Isn't that what it says about, like, Esau, like, turning in his birthright for pottage? It's mm-hmm. like, ah, uh, study sacred scripture because it's so
0: great. Anyway. Now, I'll, I'll do a uh, small confession. I have not read all of scripture. Sure. Father, have you read all of the scripture? Um, in one way or another,
1: yes. I mean, the sad thing is, have I sat down and read through the whole Bible? No. Although that's a tough way to do it anyway. It is. But, I mean, more or less, yes, I have. Um, I know there are good reading plans. In fact, there's that podcast right now with Father Mike Schmitz. Mm-hmm. Um, Bible in a Year. Yeah, where he's going through. And I've, I've done some of those like reading plans before. There's one from the Catholics Come Home group, I think. Um, where it's like they have this reading plan where it's all of Sacred Scripture and the Catechism of the Catholic Church in a year. So, but it's it's tough. Yeah, it's, I remember it's, you it's, and Father Rossi. He made it. I didn't. Okay.
0: No. I mean, yeah, I know. So I, I can I can give him credit sometimes. So yeah, uh, every once in a while, Father Rossi, if you're listening again, good job, good job. Um, and then there's uh, the Bible Timeline that I know is very yeah, good by I, Kavins. Jeff Cavins. Mm-hmm. And that what uh, that does is it takes the books of the Bible and actually puts it in a chronological order. And it'll show you this is the actual timeline of the Bible and how these books kind of parallel other books of the Bible. And so that helps a lot because if you read it from start to finish, you're not going to get one continuous story. They kind of come and go in different locations. A lot of times
1: people get up to like numbers and it's like, oh, it's just it's hard. I mean, there there are some parts that are that are difficult. Like I said, there's different genres, you know, of books within sacred scripture. But yeah, to have a guide like that is really, really helpful. Um, yeah, someone like a Jeff Caven's Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, it's incredible what's out there and available to us today.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and then kind of concluding this section is talk about the sacred Scripture, in the life of the church, which we've talked about a lot. But in paragraph 133 is the quote everyone knows and loves. Ignorance of scripture is the ignorance of Christ. And that completes the section. Yeah. So I mean, that is kind of the period statement Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. So the more we know Scripture, the better, because the better relationship we're going to have with Jesus Christ. Exactly. So very, very important. Um, all right, flipping on. So we're going to kind of skip the in brief because we need to uh, move along because we only have five minutes left. Um, but we're doing okay. So then <laughs> yeah, we the, don't have much left. the last little bit here actually starts the, the next chapter. All right. Chapter 3, Man's Response to God. So we'll go into this much more next month because this is kind of where that weird cutoff is. Um, But it starts by talking about faith and the obedience of faith. And so this is also where we start the The actual creed, right? So all of this was kind of a preface into what we believe and how we believe it. How do we come to know about God? And this is where we actually dive into. And we're we're gonna go through the actual sections of it. Yeah. Um. And you already said it, but go for it. I just
1: love it. Yeah. I believe. I mean, you know, it's what we get to stand up and say after the homily every Sunday. You know, I believe in one God, and we continue on. We're gonna be you know breaking that down and looking through the commentary um, that the Catechism provides you know, as we walk through the Nicene Creed.
0: And I, I know that some people a while back tried to translate it as we believe in the Creed, and I've never been a big fan of that because. My belief is not about a communal thing. I don't believe in the church because everyone around me does it. I don't come to Mass because there's other people there and somebody's going to judge me if I don't. I believe in the faith of Jesus Christ in the church because that's what I, as an individual, believe, not due to any outside pressure or force. So I really like that in the catechism it's very clear. I believe. This has to do with me and my beliefs. Within the church. And, and the Latin
1: from which it comes, it's credo, which is I believe. It's pretty clear. Yeah. And
0: that's the same in Spanish and probably a dozen, a dozen other languages. Yep, yeah, I know. Our English translation at first was a little we're getting, we're off. Getting, <laughs> we're, getting we're getting a lot We're getting better. <laughs> um, well, in this section, they first dive very much into what it means to have an obedience of faith and what that looks like. And this is paragraph 144. Uh, to obey in faith is to submit freely to the word that has been heard. Because its truth is guaranteed by God, who is truth itself. And it goes into a really wonderful explanation of an Old Testament figure and a New Testament figure that took this obedience of faith to heart and is our examples for us to follow. And that's Abraham in the Old Testament and Mother Mary in the New Testament. Um, Abraham, I mean, the story of Abraham is absolutely incredible. And what he was asked to do, I mean... God basically asked him to just get up and leave Mm -hmm. and just wander to the land of his chosen people. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what he was doing, but God asked him to do this. And he just got up and went. But that wasn't even the height of the faith that Abraham had to have. I mean, the covenant that he made with Abraham, circumcision. I mean, that takes a little bit of faith in order to do that, in order to teach the people of your family that, Hey, God is asking us to do this as a sign of the covenant with him in the promise. As a man, that would be a tough situation to be in. But also, it reaches this climax in God's request for Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, we know the end of the story, spoiler alert, that his son doesn't actually be sac- get sacrificed. But he goes to the very moment of killing his son for God and God stops him. Abraham didn't know that was going to happen. Right? That was a wonderful surprise at the end of the story for Abraham. But that is a very, very huge sign of faith and obedience in not just believing in one's head, but being willing to obey in one's life in the way one lives, in the way one actually follows God in a real concrete way. And then I'll let you take over with Mary.
1: Yeah, well, I was just going to say with Abraham, too, You we're at quotes from the letter to the Hebrews, where it says, you know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I like this little phrase, Abraham believed God. And that's a big thing, too. It's like, as we talk about all this with scripture tradition, the magisterium, it's like, okay, I might not know exactly what God has in store, but I trust God. You know, I trust him going forward. I know that ultimately it's like it is our best interest that he has in mind. And so ultimately the only thing we have to fear is sin, is separation from God. And that's the thing with Abraham is like that incredible trust, you know. And and so to see that, and then of course, yes, our Blessed Mother. You know, she is the one, the Virgin Mary, most perfectly embodies the obedience of faith. By faith, Mary welcomes the tidings and promise brought by the angel Gabriel. Believing that with God, nothing will be impossible. And so, giving her assent, and I love this phrase so much and love it when we prayed in the Angelus Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. And that's the thing. It's like, so, you know, she she even said, you know, how can this be? Because I don't know man. But she still is like, is open, you know, okay, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. She trusted. She trusted at the Annunciation, she trusted throughout the public ministry of Christ. You know, saying to him when he said, you know, woman, what is it to me? My hour is not yet come. And she turns and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And i got to do the chosen plug here. Because, man, if you haven't watched so the chosen fun. yet, watch the chosen. Because the wedding feast at Cana episode, oh, my goodness, I cry so much every time. And just their depiction of Mary is so well done. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, she, she trusts and she loves. She may not, from the beginning, like, have the roadmap of, you know, like, okay, day 467 of Jesus' life, X will happen. You know, she, but she's trusting and she's loving. And she might not know exactly the way it's all going to play out, but she knows that our Lord is there, that he loves her. You know, to the point that there she is at the foot of the cross, you know, trusting in the love of God, trusting that he will overcome. You know? And was that heart? Absolutely. I mean, Simeon told her, a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart. And thank God we have those words given to us through sacred scripture, in the gospel according to St. Luke. You know, there they are. We know them. We can see that. You know, And, and Mary held on to all these things in her heart. And I think it's so important for us as we strive to do the same thing. We don't know exactly what's coming next. We know God. You know? We trust in Him. We love Him. We know that He's given us His sacred word. We know that He's given us the rich tradition. We know that He's given us the magisterium. We know that He does not abandon His people. And so we look to the examples of Abraham and our Blessed Mother and ask for their help to keep trusting and being obedient ourselves.
0: And I think we just need to read the last paragraph of this section because it it. ties in very nicely to what you said about the crucifixion. So this is paragraph 149. Throughout her life, Mary's life, and until until her last ordeal, when Jesus, her son, died on the cross, Mary's faith never wavered. She never ceased to believe in the fulfillment of God's word. And so the church venerates in Mary the purest realization of faith. I just think that's beautiful. It's so the purest cool. realization of faith. And I think, I mean, another great reason that we honor and venerate Mary so highly within the Catholic Church. And we should all try to practice the faith in which she had at yeah. the time of Jesus.
1: And let her take you by the hand in your day-to-day life. And just to plug there too, pray the rosary every day. It helps so much. It's just, it's, it's incredible how when you meditate on the mysteries of the life of Christ, in the company of our Blessed Mother and let her take you by the hand and understand more and more about our Lord, you know, discerning and praying with the mysteries of his life and how they interact with your own. You're always going to come out better in the end. You're tired. It's the end of the day. It's tough. Okay, if you turn on the TV, it's just garbage. It's not going to make you feel any better, especially if you watch the news, you know. It's like it doesn't really help. But spending some time with her, even if you fall asleep, okay, it's like you fell asleep in your mom's arms. Fantastic! You know, I mean, it's, it's a good way to fall asleep, meditating on the mysteries of Christ's life and how what you're going through right now might, you know, relate to what happened with Him. Like, for example, today, you know, it's, it's Thursday. We typically pray the Luminous Mysteries. Get to the fourth Luminous Mystery, the Transfiguration. It's like, man, you know, things have been tough lately. Lord, I just, you know, help me to be strengthened like you strengthened Saints Peter, James, and John. Blessed Mother, help me to never waver in my faith as things are kind of difficult, as maybe some tough things are on the horizon. Help me with this. And that's the great thing. It's like the rosary, it's like taking sacred scripture and having so much of it in our pocket as we pray the rosary all the time. And she can help us not to waver in our faith too. Amen. Fantastic.
0: So next time, next month, I actually didn't look at the date, but it's going to be the last... Thursday, as it always is, um, and we'll go from paragraph 150, and we're probably going to cut it two paragraphs short just because it ends at a really good spot. We'll go to 198, but we're just going to advertise as 200. Nobody will know the difference. That's a good
1: idea. Sometime in the future, we're probably going to have to add two paragraphs.
0: Oop. Be ready for yeah, that. Yeah, probably day. probably the next month. Um, but then next time we're going to get to wait for it. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Excuse. Yes. Nice. No, we're not. That's where we're going to end. Excuse me. We're going to keep going through I Believe. And then the following month, we'll start with I Believe in God the Father Almighty. So see, we're going through the creed. But we're going to spend all next month still talking about just the fact that I Believe, which is fantastic. It's, it's going to be, be going to be very exciting. I look forward to seeing what we come up with to talk about next
1: week. I think after next time, with the, the way the paragraphs all, we'll be at like 10% done already.
0: Fantastic! Isn't that crazy? Yeah,
1: I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Take it 50 paragraphs at a time and listen to us for an hour. And uh, hopefully we're all going to you know know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that much more, especially as we become more and more familiar with Sacred Scripture. Can I do my plug real quick for a couple of books? Oh, yeah. Go for it. Because I know we're a little bit over on time. Just shut it off. Not as bad Instagram. as last time. No, we're doing okay. Okay. Just a couple of good ideas. So, like I said, Catholic commentary on Sacred Scripture. Very good. Very approachable. Highly recommend it. I just brought this giant Bible. The actual Bible, highly recommended. Highly recommend it. Especially, okay, a lot of different translations. I'm a big fan of the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. It's not the one we typically read at Mass. It's not the one we read at Mass. (laughs) We never read that one. We never read it. Typically, it was the wrong word to use. We read the NAB, the New American Bible, at Mass. The thing I like about the RSV, it's very literal in its translation into English from the original language of the text of Sacred Scripture. Um, not always as poetic, but a little bit more literal in the way that it translates. So I like the RSV a lot. It never hurts to have a couple of different translations, like to have the NAB and the RSV, maybe the Dewey Rames around, like to look at some of the different ways that things are translated, it can just kind of help sometimes.
0: And I've heard the NAB is more of the common language of the people. Yeah. So they've, they take it and try to make it more like what we, we would actually say instead of being true to the more uh, literal, literal interpretation.
1: And there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. You know, because sometimes I think when it's like, oh, we need to use the common language of the people. It's like, well, sometimes, I don't know, things can more easily get lost in translation. But that's a debate for another time. I don't think we're going to debate. Agreed. Okay. I talked about him earlier. Probably my favorite author these days regarding sacred scripture, Dr. John Bergsma. The thing I love about him, A, he's really funny when he gives presentations. Like very engaging, not corny funny, but just like keeps you involved. It's great. He's written some very scholarly, uh, scholarly high-level stuff, especially having to do with the Dead Sea Scrolls. But he also has this series, like something basics for Catholics. I think there's a like Scripture basics for Catholics, Old Testament basics for Catholics, New Testament basics for Catholics. I got this one Psalm basics for Catholics. And notice here, you got a little like stick figure guy playing a harp with a halo on. Um, he does a lot of stick figure stuff, which I know it's like, oh, I'm an adult. It helps! I mean, I have a master's degree in sacred scripture, and I really appreciate the way that he kind of breaks some of this stuff down. So, uh, Psalm Basics for Catholics, Dr. John Bergsma, very, very good. And actually, the next book, I, actually, the next two books I have are from him, too. He just came out with a, like, commentary through the year of year B. It's what we're in right now, the readings from Mark. This is brand new. I just got this. This one, and I think they're working on the New Testament one right now. Catholic Introduction to the Bible, the Old Testament. This is Dr. John Bergsma. And a guy named uh, Dr. Brant Petrie, probably the best introduction to the Old Testament I've ever seen. I've used this a bunch in preparing for homilies over the last couple of years. Awesome insights into—I mean, you can tell it's a—it's a hefty one, but it is well worth it. A little more—it's not a little—it's it, scholarly, but the language is, I think, very approachable. It's well worth uh, checking out if you want to dive more into understanding things about the Old Testament. Catholic Introduction to the Old Testament. This one's a little bit pricier, as you can tell. It's huge, and it's out from Ignatius Press. Highly recommend this one. And then finally, I was blessed by a parishioner at the uh, at my last parish, St. John the Baptist in Tryon, who gave me this, and actually the whole series. So, the Ancient Christian Commentary on Sacred Scripture. I brought the second volume on the Gospel according to St. John. So this is... Uh, Gospel according to St. John, chapters 11 to 21. So just the second half of St. John is this. And what this does is it takes parts of the Gospel of John and then gives you, so this is only three verses, chapter 16, verses 12, 12 to 15. And then what it does is it takes quotes from different church fathers about that part of sacred scripture. So just opening up to here, you have quotes from Origen, who is a, Older church father, not a saint, but um, wrote a lot. St. Gregory of Nazianzen, St. Hilary of Portier, uh, St. Augustine, uh, anybody else? Didymus the Blind. I mean, my goodness, we just don't read enough of Didymus the Blind these days. Tertullian, St. Ambrose. I mean, it's great, so it takes a lot of what these different saints have said and compiles it into this, and they have at least one book, if not two Uh, for every book from Sacred Scripture. So I have that on several shelves at home. It was an incredible gift. But I'll consult this a lot, just these different things when getting ready for the homily on Sunday. And the thing is, for all of us, it's like there's really nothing better to study. It's the living and effective Word of God. So just a couple of things, like I said, Dr. John Bergsma, highly recommend him. He's uh, just great. In fact, on the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, they have a YouTube page, and they do like commentary on the daily readings every day too. I don't watch those very often just because it's tough to make the time, but those are good as well. And remember,
0: the ignorance of Scripture is the ignorance of Christ. If you read one of these, I think (laughs) your ignorance is going to drop by quite a bit. At least a little. At least least some. I'm still trying.
1: We're doing our best. So, Cool. Why don't we close with a prayer file? Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. With grateful hearts, Heavenly Father, we pray. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. spirit. As, as it was, was in the, the beginning, is now, now, and it shall, shall be, world, world without end. end. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.